0: There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Quick poll. How many people have ever been... To the Rocky Mountains. I mean, Ben, not like National Geographic flip through and go, oh, Rocky Mountains. Okay, so you've been there. How many of you have been to, like, the Appalachian Mountains? They pale in comparison, right? Katie, tell me very briefly about your experience with mountains in China. How appropriate. Thank you. The (laughs) Hallelujah Mountains. Okay, And, and what were they like? I saw pictures. Yeah. But, um, I got the of the nice. Four-part harmony and everything, right? Excellent. So he, here's my experience. When I grew up, I grew up in Iowa. And in Iowa, it is, it is not flat. Everybody says, oh, it's flat in Iowa. No, that's Nebraska. That's the middle of Nebraska. In Iowa, it has gently rolling hills. But I knew nothing of mountains. The greatest heights that I had ever traversed in I, Iowa was climbing up uh, silos, to the top of those silos. And that was about it. You could kind of survey the whole scene and see a 360-degree uh, view of the whole farmland. Your cows, your pigs, your, the smells waft higher up when you're up on the silo. But that, that was about my experience. In my junior year, a guy named Doug Kane invited me to go along with his church's youth group uh, to Colorado to a, a youth event called Rocky Mountain High. It's a take on someone else's song. Anybody know who? Yeah. Thank you, John. Wow, we're not as old as I thought we were. John Denver. And so John Denver kind of has Rocky Mountain High. All right, we'll, we'll stick. We'll work on that later. So we hopped on this tour bus. A bunch of high school students, which is always dangerous, hopping on a tour bus to go to Rocky Mountain High in Estes Park, Colorado. I had no clue what I was about to experience. But it was a long trip, because if you know, the vast majority of it is through the rest of Iowa, through Nebraska, which is just nothing. At at least where I-80 runs, it is just flat, flat, flat. And all of a sudden, I remember entering into uh, Colorado and seeing what I thought were the mountains. But our, our tour bus driver said, no, 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 those are not the mountains, those are the foothills. I go, oh my word, if those are just foothills, I can't imagine what the actual mountains were going to be like. So we started going through the foothills, and I was, I was in awe of this Iowa boy going, this is amazing, look how high we are. And then we started getting into the mountains. And I remember on the, with this bus, this very large tour bus filled with high school students who thinks it's, think it's funny to start trying to rock, you know? And if you've ever been on those, those mountain passes, those are thin roads. And along the edge, you just take one look and you go, well, that's far. Quit rocking. Quit rocking this boat. And I remember one of our, as we were going up this mountain pass, we suddenly hit rain. And it was like a hard, hard rain. But a few miles later, as we were going higher, it turned into snow. And then as we kept on going, again, it turned into rain. And all of a sudden, out, as we looked out over the right, we saw this amazing rainbow just break out. After snow, it turned to rain, and we saw this beautiful rainbow. And somebody, all of a sudden, started singing the doxology. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. And for this 17-year-old boy, my heart was in awe, seeing, you know, as we climbed the very, very top. I also remember... Uh, when I was a youth pastor at Peace Church, um, I took 19 high schoolers to Colorado for a leadership development program, and part of our leadership development program was hiking in the Rockies. And we wanted to get to the top of this mountain, and we thought, "Oh yeah, that's easy." And a lot of—I was a little younger back then—and uh, but these high schoolers were full of vim and vigor. Yeah, we're going to take this mountain by storm, right? And very quickly, they slowed down. They were tired. Their sides started hurting. It was a rocky terrain. It was a difficult terrain. But we arrived, and we could go no further because we were oxygen-deprived and just exhausted. We got to what was called the false summit, which is kind of where it breaks through and it's just even more rocky. But we were able, from that that false summit, to look out and survey miles and miles the beauty of the Rocky Mountains. When we we weren't quite at the summit, but it was like the summit. So being at the summit changed what I I had in my head about the space that I am in, and even what I thought about Colorado itself. The, The summit was beautiful. And here in Romans chapter 8, friends, we have arrived at what I believe to be the summit of the book. We have have traversed some really rocky, hard stuff of dealing with sin and the sin that's inside of us. And Paul is asking the question, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? And the things that I do want to do, I can't do them. Why is this happening? All of a sudden, there's a break in the clouds. And we we arrive at this place. And here's what God wants you to know. The message of no condemnation. And by that negative statement, God is strongly, strongly asserting that there is glad acceptance, that there is full inclusion, that there is total forgiveness for everyone who is in Christ Jesus and and all you need all you need to qualify for that blessing of no condemnation is to be a sinner in christ to be a sinner in christ not a rehabilitated sinner not somebody who is just trying to clean up and look good but a sinner who recognizes who i am and what christ has done and i am now in christ jesus so we don't need a rehabilitated sinner. We, we don't need somebody who is tidied up, but we need to be sinners who are in Christ Jesus. After all, Jesus said that he came for, not for the righteous, but for the lost, the sinners, the broken, the hopeless. He has no interest in people who just want to be good. He attracts He attracts bad people. And we are bad people. Get it. We, say it, we are bad people. And some of you are going, I was hoping for an uplifting sermon. Right? But we are. But if we are in Christ Jesus, praise God, we have God's grace right now while we are bad. And that's the difference. So, Here's the thread of Paul's thinking that leads up to this passage, First, Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him. How were we bat- buried with him? By bapti- baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too may walk in the newness of life and then he goes on a little further sin shall have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace and then he goes on to say in chapter 7 now we are have been released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the written code. And then he comes to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and says, Therefore is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is a whole new way to live, to really live. It's, It's all about grace and grace alone. If God used any kind of measuring stick for measuring what we deserve. If no condemnation was just limited to good Christians, it would mean condemnation for all Christians. Any kind of grade scaling would be the law. And the law doesn't bring us to God. It does quite the opposite. The law exposes us. It, it, it pushes us away in anxiety and hiding. into. It, there's a fear of rejection that ultimately even kills love. Fear of rejection even turns our relationships into charades, doesn't it? Do you ever feel that? The fear of rejection, I'll do whatever it takes, and I'll look whatever, I'll say whatever, just so that I am not rejected. Faking love is what that is. But really it is manipulating God and and one another in order to get something. This is what the gospel does. It announces, listen friend, all you bring to the table is your guilt and your sadness. That's all you can bring. But here's the good news. God brings his mighty love God moves towards you, not in judgment, but God moves towards you in mercy. Because why? His fury, His wrath, has been spent on Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the life that we should have lived, and He died the death that we should have died. You don't have to be perfect, praise God. Jesus was perfect for you. And when you receive that grace when you receive that good news with empty hands of faith god places over your head the banner no condemnation when you receive that gift of grace that you don't paul you don't have to do anymore You don't have to appease God. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to talk a certain way. You don't have to be a certain way. You come with empty hands of faith and say, Lord, all I've got is my guilt and my sadness. I I have nothing else. And God says, good. That's good news. I'm done with you performing. Now let me put something over you. There's no condemnation. Forever. No condemnation forever. Forever and I'm going to put a period behind it, and then an exclamation point. I'm going to underline it. I'm going to hit control B to bold it, and boom, it's done forever. It's, that's all it is. So what, can, what does this mean now? It means that we can relax in Christ Jesus, our Savior. An old hymn nailed it. Cast your deadly doing down. Down at Jesus' feet. Stand in Him in him alone gloriously complete so if you are in jesus christ you are a righteous sinner yes there's more to it you are also in scripture called a saint believe it or not i look at some of you i go "Eh, i don't know right but that's what scripture calls you you are now a righteous saint which transforms your identity you're a saint it's not an either or when it comes to a righteous sinner it's an and and both in christ you are righteous right now you are fully acceptable to an all-holy god because jesus christ is covering you his banner is over you and at the same time we still sin right anybody want to start listing out their sins i didn't think so but at the same time we're we're righteous right now god looks at you and says yeah i see you through my son and you that is good same time we still struggle and that's why we're not surprised when we look at romans chapter 7 and when you when we're not totally able to get all of our issues all of our problems under control but but if you are not in christ you, you also belong right here in Romans chapter 8. There is no condemnation. God has made up his mind about you in your favor. And you have a great future. Because Christ has died and he was raised again. Part me wants to hear you say he's risen indeed, right? Right? So, don't you see the most important thing, friends? The most important thing about you is not The sins you may or may not commit or the virtues that you may or may not demonstrate. That is not the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is whether or not you are in Christ. That is the most important thing. The worst sin that we can commit is not the one that you think. The worst sin is not being a stripper. The worst sin is not being a porn addict. The worst sin is not being a corrupt Illinois politician. The mega sin, the worst sin, is not trusting in Christ, and Christ alone. And we all commit that sin in some way, don't we? Academically, we believe that God treats us on the terms of grace. I believe that, I get it, yeah. Yeah, academically, it's up here. But emotionally, deep down, we sometimes feel that God treats us on the basis of crime and punishment. That dark emotional world of guilt and and fear is very personal, isn't it? it? It's also very social and cultural. We're swimming every day in an ocean of mostly unspoken but powerfully felt criticism and judgment. Every day. Every day. Even as a pastor, there's, there's that unspoken criticism that I feel. Sometimes it comes from Paul. I hear it in my, that little voice in my head that says, you're never good enough, Paul. You've got to work harder. You've got to do more. You've got to please more people. You've got to make this person happy. Make that person happy. And it, it's you, see, Paul, you don't have the skills. You don't have the degree. You don't have this. Why are you even trying? Maybe, maybe we can't spell, so what do we do? We're embarrassed to write an email. Or, or we can't dance, most of you. So we're afraid to go to a party. We all fail to measure up in so many ways. But we don't want anyone to know, right? So living under the threat of exposure... And rejection is the mentality that gets beaten into us as years go by. How many times have you just heard that voice say, if you ever, or have you ever? How many times have you heard an accusing voice inside of you? How many times have you silenced that terrifying voice that you hear in your heart You silence it by criticizing others. The worse they look, the better you look. Or if I justify my existence with my career, my achievements, my my money, my house, my kids' success, anything to make me, especially if, if it makes me look better than you, man, I'm going to elevate that to the highest. My life is about me. And when I feel happy and when I feel secure and I have earned it, then you don't threaten me. This is the world in which every human being lives in, personally and socially. This intense drama of self-justification. Self-justification is why the world is so tense and explosive you felt it right it's tense it's explosive and it's the very reason why the world needs the gospel message of free justification in christ jesus the world needs this message so what is our self-focus all about it's about saving ourselves and i'm going to tell you i am a crappy savior I do a terrible job of trying to save Paul. Every morning I wake up and I've got to renew my my license to save Paul. I work harder and harder and harder. And what does it do? It ekes away at my soul and I'm exhausted spiritually, emotionally, physically. In every other way, I am exhausted from trying to save Paul. But we love ourselves and we at the same time we hate ourselves. And ultimately, we can't save ourselves. But everything starts changing under the gospel. Martin Lloyd Jones, the great British preacher, told us where the Lord wants us to take that every day. This is what he said. Would you like to be rid of your spiritual depression? Anyone? Yeah. Would you like to be rid of your spiritual depression? The first thing you have to do is to say farewell now, once and forever to your past. Never look back at your sins again. Say, it is finished. It is covered by the blood of Christ. That's your first step. Take that and finish with yourself and all this talk of goodness and look to the Lord Jesus Christ it is only then that true happiness and joy are possible for you what you need is not to make more resolutions and to live a better life to start fasting and sweating and praying no you just need to begin to say I rest my faith on him alone who died for my transgressions to atone. Last week I also found a quote by Martin Luther. He said this, it ought to be the primary goal of every Christian to put aside confidence in works and to grow stronger in the belief that we are saved by faith alone let me say it again it ought to be the primary goal of every Christian to put aside confidence in the works in works and to grow stronger in the belief that we are saved by faith alone so how do you define the the primary goal of a Christian is it holiness is it evangelism is it a Bible study attendance is that the primary goal Luther thought the primary goal is to get out of our heart-killing strategies of self-salvation and to grow stronger in the joy that I don't have to do one more thing as long as I live to get God's attention. My primary goal is to let Jesus save me. That's your primary goal. Let Him save you. You're drowning in an ocean of of despair and you think if I could just have one more paddle if I could just have this and God's going, you're drowning let Christ save you that's the primary goal for every Christian according to Luther so if you are not a believer today I want you to know what Missio Dei Church stands for this church is not here to tell you and to wag a finger and tell you how wrong you are If you're looking for that, there's plenty of other churches out there who will do that. Say, you're wrong. Oh, you're wrong. Oh, you're a little off there. Maybe this should be our new mission statement. Missio Dei Church exists to reject our own righteousness and to grow stronger in the happiness of Of being saved by God's grace. I want to grow in this. Have this joy and happiness. A growing joy and happiness. Of being saved. By God's grace. That to me sounds like good news. It's refreshing. Both for sinners. And for believers and unbelievers. That is good news. That I don't have to show up. All prim and proper. Clean. Put together. Romans 8. Paul is, is having this question and answer thing going on. And this time we, it's kind of hard to discern what his question is that he's trying to ask. And we have to surmise it from what Paul is trying to say. The new question that he is trying to ask to address is. What grace does God have for people like us who still sin often? What kind of grace does God have? How does God, God help sinners? Well, the answer we see here is not the law, right? The law condemns, law of God condemns people because we are all lawbreakers. So how does the gospel help us? Well, we've already had it hinted at in Romans 5 where sin increased Grace abounded all the more. Grace. Romans 7. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So now in Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us how that exactly works in our lives. And the key word in this chapter is the word spirit. In, in chapters 1 through 7, the word spirit, if you would count it up, comes up to five times. In chapters 9 through 16, the word spirit occurs eight times. But in chapter 8, the word spirit appears. In one chapter, it appears 21 times more times than any other chapter in the new testament so then how does god help people who who sin in this grand romans 7 kind of way god gives his own lifeblood if you will the holy spirit for us and to us so grace exceeds where the law fails because grace brings along with it the very power of the Holy Spirit. The very power of the Holy Spirit. Grace works miracles, and we all need miracles, don't we? We, we need more than just those, those withering scoldings and, and not, even, not even within our own thoughts. We need a helper. We need the Holy Spirit. He knows how to internalize the grace of God in our heart. So that we actually start changing. So when you are in Christ Jesus, you've been given the Holy Spirit who now resides within you. And He helps bring along the grace of God. And He internalizes it within our heart so that suddenly change, real, lasting change starts to happen. Here's how it works. God Starts out by relocating us. He takes us out of the death camp and relocates us into an environment of overflowing acceptance that has nothing to do with your sin or your morals. It has everything to do with Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus. So could it be any clearer? So for for those of you who have been with us as we've walked through Romans, do you remember Paul's complex and his complex analysis of Romans chapter 7? Why do I do these things? And what's what's the relationship with the law and all these kind of things? There's no hope for inward focus and there's no hope for Self-working out of righteousness. There's no release there whatsoever. You are going to have to renew your license again and again and again and again to see if you can bring about any change. Instead, we need to listen to God. And this is what He has to say. Now. Now. Not five years from now when you got your life put together now right now in the present where you actually live where you really need help today now there is no condemnation none not less condemnation but no condemnation the word no is the emphatic word in this verse no condemnation none at all it's over as far as God is concerned, it is finished. It's done. Now, right today, there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Not living up to the law, but simply coming and being in Christ on His terms of grace. So if you belong to Christ Jesus, don't think of him as being far away, scrutinizing you to see if you are making the grade. Paul has already told us we have been united. We have been united with Christ in a death like his, and we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. He's risen, he's risen indeed. So you've already died. If you are in Christ Jesus, you have already died. You are now living your post-mortem life. You're living the old you, concealing your guilt under this veneer, this ugly veneer of okayness, smiling but still deeply sad and depressed, that tragic old you That fits in so well here in in the Lincoln Way area where all you have to do is order your triple grande caramel macchiato and, and smile to your barista and go back to your sad spot. That old you, that old me, was nailed to the cross of Christ. Your sins have already been punished, but yet what do we like to do? We like to punish ourselves, don't we? It's been punished. And your morals have already been made irrelevant. Your sins, you still sin, right? But the guilt and the punishment of your sin are already in your past, dealt with 2,000 years ago on the cross. You may have a lot of apologies to still make. Don't get me wrong. There may be some difficult consequences to your sins. Those aren't gone but there's no condemnation as you stand before God. And then your Savior was also raised from the dead. A new you lives now. And a new you lives forever. You have been joined to Christ and you have been redefined by Christ you can see in his story your own story and the next step for you is resurrection the deepest truth about you is not your mood swings I'm not talking specifically to anybody in this room it's not about your mood swings it's not about your your bad habits which I could list out It's not about any of those things. It's not about your ups and your downs. The deepest truth about you is that God has put you safely, securely in Christ Jesus. That's the first way that God helps us. We received Christ by faith, and the all holy God declares loudly no condemnation loudly he looks you square in the eye and says none none for you no condemnation i know what you did but there's no condemnation do you get it i don't know no there's no condemnation it's done i've paid for it you make a miserable savior i'm awesome there's no condemnation Again, we need to hear the Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones say, would you like to be rid of your spiritual depression? The first thing you have to do is say farewell now, once, and forever to your past. Be done. It's gone. It's done. Never look back at your sins again. But say, it is finished. It is covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. But there's more. There's more. God helps us in another way. First, God declares that there's no condemnation on us when we come into Christ. And then secondly, he gives us a whole new arrangement for practical, everyday living. So it's not only, hey, there's no condemnation, and he leaves you there. He redefines, so this is how you now live. For the spirit of the law has set you free. The spirit of the law of life has, say it, set you free. Set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What is this? It's our new relationship with God. Not the law, not law, but grace. This is our our new, freshly tilled soil in which we now grow but paul calls it the spirit the law of the spirit of life god has traded one has god traded one law for another in a way the law of sin and death is somehow how paul sums up chapter 7 the law of god confronted him it exposed him it frustrated him and it even damned him The law was chiseled into stone tablets. It was unbending. It was hard. It was cold. It was heavy. Paul tried so hard to live up. he He was probably a firstborn child, right? He was just trying so hard to live up to the law and perform and do and more and more and more. But he kept on failing. He he hated himself for failing. And that made him all the more frustrated and all the more unable. We've all experienced that, that vicious cycle of sin and death. Sin and death. Sin and death. We try so hard. We fail so obviously. And we suffer so immensely because of it. Living in a cycle of perpetual death does not help. Right? Nothing but grace helps the sinner. And that's what God has now made so practical. God has set out a new arrangement. Now God sends His Holy Spirit to write the goodness of the law on our The Holy Spirit internalizes the character and the humanness and the beauty the law describes. The Holy Spirit changes our very personalities into people who don't have to be prodded into doing the right things. We somehow come alive with a new love for God we find ourselves much to our own surprise having this ever growing desire to know Christ more uh, we have a passion for the bible and when people call you a bible thumper you say thank you dude you're you're all about jesus uh huh yes yes i am Dude, why, why are you going? You could be golfing on on Sunday morning. You could be hanging out, sleeping out, watching cartoons in your pajamas all morning. You could be downtown Chicago on a beautiful day. Why are you doing here? Jesus he's transformed my heart I cannot help but be here I cannot help but grow I cannot help but lift up my hand and worship I can't help but cry when I realize the depths of my depravity but the heights of grace I cannot help it and that's what happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of the human heart he internalizes the beauty the humanness the complexity of the law. Suddenly we want to serve God first and foremost. Only the Holy Spirit can make us like that, friends. There's no self-help program that makes that happen. And when He enlivens our hearts, we are finally truly alive. It's why Paul calls it the law of the Spirit of life. He calls it a law because this new way of living is authoritative. So grace isn't a compromise. Never think of grace as God, I don't know what else to do. I'll offer grace. God isn't bending his rules. In his kingdom, legalism is illegal. Hear that. Because the new law is grace. Legalism and all of its forms of self-justification violate the wonderful law of the spirit of life. God's new order for you and for me is the exuberance. The Holy Spirit is setting us free from the exactitude, the preciseness of the law. Spirituality replaces legality. Life in Christ becomes this beautiful garden by which you grow and you bear fruit. You want to know why Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness? Why? Because the Spirit has done something rich and dynamic in your life, and you cannot help but grow in that. Paul's whole point is that this isn't an ideal God is asking you to try to live up to. This is God's new way of grace for you for your relationship with Him, in which He provides everything that you need through the finished work of Christ on the cross and the wonder-working power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're not in Christ, He says, quit your working. You're exhausted. You have been trying and trying, and failing, and failing. You've been searching out new and fresh ways to become a better you. You've been doing a thousand different calisthenics that look kind of religious-ish. And Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? What? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, why do you hold back from Christ? He is inviting and even commanding. Come to me. You, 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 come to me. And you know what you'll discover? You have a new address. You are now in Christ, where you receive forgiveness and you will truly live again. Will you come to him today? But if you're you are in Christ and not feeling set free, does anybody have that? Come on. Anybody have that feeling where you're just not feeling set free? Anyone? yeah okay so if if those two words here in verse two set free do not describe you here's what you need to do today would you like to be rid of this spiritual depression the first thing you need to do is say farewell now once and forever to your past never look back on your sins again because why they're dragging you down They're the anchor in the wrong place. How about an anchor in Christ? But no, you're anchored in your past. And he says, never look back at your sins again. Say, it is finished. It is covered with the blood of Christ. Don't drag your guilt with you into Christ as if feeling bad is going to make you more worthy of receiving his forgiveness. Look, look at how bad I am. And Christ is going, I I get it. Just come to me. Be done. Say goodbye to the old. And that is self-justification when we try to bring in our unworthiness and our badness. Christ was punished in your place. Period. That is what you believe in your head. Now believe it in your heart. When you truly believe what you believe, then let your past go and look to Christ. Look away to Christ, friends, and you will be wonderfully set free. No one, friends, can love you more passionately, satisfy you more deeply, or settle you more definitely in God. And there is nothing more foundational to life than for God to say to you, no condemnation. Period. Forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, you have given us a view of grace that changes the way that we look at our life now but also our life for tomorrow and into eternity. We thank you that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Zip. Zero. Nada. Zilch. It's all gone. And God, that that should be life-altering for so many in this room. For those who have walked with Christ their entire life and those who are new to their faith and those who are still checking it out, Lord, that should just alter the way that we look at the life that we live. For many of us, it should turn things upside down. For many of us, it should set us free the shackles of performance are gone. The shackles of condemnation have been stripped. And we have been given wings to fly because we are located in Christ Jesus with the banner of no condemnation flying proudly over us. So Father, help us this morning as we as we come to the Lord's Supper, as we sing our our last few songs together, as we leave this place, Lord, may we leave with joy, glad hearts, empowered, and breathing the fresh air of grace. And this we pray, in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.